Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This morning, we conclude our month-long Advent series based in Isaiah chapter 9. For the last four weeks, we have looked at each of those amazing throne names of this coming ruler, this coming king. We conclude this morning by looking at one last name that actually doesn't appear in the list of throne names that we looked at in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, but actually appears two chapters prior to that in Isaiah chapter 7, again in Isaiah chapter 8, and one last time in Matthew chapter 1, and then nowhere else in Scripture. In essence, what we want to do this morning is to make the same connection that the gospel writer Matthew does in applying the name Emmanuel to Jesus Christ, a connection that actually completes the picture that Isaiah began to paint for us back in Isaiah chapter 9, the picture that Isaiah wanted the people of God to see. And the picture has been amazing as we've been listening and looking at those throne names of this coming deliverer. Each title describing an attribute of the king giving us hope, all of them together, the picture has been staggering. As wonderful counselor, God has all the wisdom He needs to rule well and justly. As mighty God, He has all the power He requires to establish His throne and to defeat all challengers to it. As everlasting Father, He is the perfect, caring ruler that will treat all as if they were His own sons and daughters whose kingdom is eternal because He is king over eternity as He is king over humanity. And as Prince of Peace, His rule will lead to the flourishing and satisfaction of all who put their trust in Him. A deep, abiding peace known as a shalom in the Hebrew language, not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of well-being, contentedness, and warmth. But the reality is, What good is any of all of that if it will never be a reality for you? And that's why the last name we consider this morning is so important, because it is the last of the names that really matter, not just to you and I, but of all humanity, Emmanuel, God with us. 
The God we have just described will be with us. And Matthew brilliantly uses these two names that refer to this miracle child in this first chapter of his gospel. Emmanuel and his given name, Jesus, which is really the Greek version of the Hebrew Yeshua, Joshua, which means God saves. And Matthew, linking these new names together, Jesus and Emmanuel, they mean that God is with His people. This wonderful Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, will be with His people because He is the God who saves His people. In other words, Matthew uses two names in this one chapter right at the beginning that describes who He is. He is Emmanuel, the God who is with us as well as what He does. He's Yeshua, the God who saves, and He links them together. Now, while the other gospel writers use His given name, Jesus, none of the other writers use His name, Emmanuel. You see, this is a particular emphasis that Matthew is putting in the very first chapter of what is the first book of the New Testament, an emphasis that has to be very clear as the New Testament opens is that God's presence saves God's people. It's really no coincidence that the very last promise of the last chapter of Matthew concludes with the very first promise in the first chapter of Matthew. In chapter 1, he says, he's Emmanuel, God with you. In the very last chapter, he records Jesus saying, I am with you always. You see, Matthew is bookending this reality that God is always going to be with His people. He starts His gospel with this reminder. He ends the gospel with this reminder because He is Emmanuel. And so, what we want to do in our remaining… what were those hands again? Fifteen minutes or thirty? I forget the spread. But in our last few minutes here, we want to link. Why did Matthew use Emmanuel when no one else does? and how he brings those together. So, what we need to do is think again about the original context of the Emmanuel passage. You remember them from Isaiah 7 through 9. Isaiah the prophet prophet delivered these names, these throne names, these titles in a very uncertain time where people had wavering faith. Men like King Ahaz in particular trusted in political alliances more than the promises of God. And if you're a note taker, write down 2 Kings chapter 16 verses 5 through 9 where we see in vivid detail Ahaz selling off the goods of the temple of God to pay off Tiglath-Pileser to buy his protection, buy his security, because he trusted in a political alliance more than the promises of God. The pressures were real, the stakes were high, and the price for failure was devastating. And he buckled, and he rather than choose to place his faith in the God of Israel, he placed his faith in the king of Assyria. 700 years later, from the time of Isaiah's prophecy, everything has changed by the time we get to Matthew. Everything has changed. Assyria is no longer the dominant power through the Middle East. It is now Rome. Israel is no longer two vassal nations with their own kings. They're barely a people group living in an occupied homeland. And the prophetic voices like Isaiah no longer cry out, it's been centuries before a prophet of God came with the Word of God to His people. Everything has changed, and yet the heart issue is still exactly the same. In Matthew's day, as in Isaiah's, who will men and women trust with the course of their lives? 
Who will humanity look to to deliver them from their difficulties and at what cost? And will men and women have the wisdom to even recognize their hope when it arrives? The situation and circumstances were as vastly different in Jesus' day as it was in Isaiah's day, as it is in our day, but the issues of the heart are exactly the same. Who will we trust with our lives? Who will you look to when things become difficult, and will you have the wisdom to know who can be trusted and who shouldn't be? It is the exact same message. In Isaiah's day, the message to unbelieving house of David is that what they rejected as foolish, trusting God and His promises in the face of overwhelming odds and political destruction was actually ultimate wisdom, while what they trusted as wise, their political allegiance, that Assyria can be looked to and trusted to, was errant and foolish nonsense. In just the same manner, Jesus, the Son of Promise, is the one that Isaiah ultimately spoke of, ultimately foretold of, and just like the original context, the Emmanuel name, what the world often rejects as foolish believing in Christ as the means of salvation and answer to the world's problems and Savior of the world is actually the ultimate wisdom while the world trusts their own understanding of what's wise and prudent and what will bring them fulfillment is actually errant nonsense. See, the issues on the surface may be completely different, but the issues of the heart are identical. On the one hand, God does not make it any easier to understand His offer of salvation, because in reality, it could not get any easier. On the other hand, God doesn't make it any harder, because it, in reality, could not be any harder. It all turns, it all turns on whether or not you will take Him at His word. Whether it's easier or harder, it all turns on whether or not you believe. Now, I don't mean uh, believe like we believe in facts, like California is a state and the earth is round. I mean believe like you believe in a cause. Racism is wrong and needs to be stopped. Abortion is an evil that needs to be stopped. A belief that exerts a kind of moral pressure on your life that drives you to actions that you would not normally do if that belief was not there. It all turns on whether or not you have that kind of belief. So at the very announcement of Jesus' birth, we come face to face with the central theme of the Christian belief. God, who has always been working on building and creating His people since the time of Abraham, has come amongst them in person. In time and in space to save those who would put their trust in Him, and to ensure that we would be with Him and He would forever be with us. To be with His people, to be Emmanuel, is a theme all through the Bible. All through the Bible. In Genesis chapters 2 and 3, we get the strong implication that God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. He wanted to be with them until sin brought a cleavage between them. In the time of the Exodus, God wanted His people to be with them. He called them out of slavery to come worship at Mount Sinai. Throughout all of the Old Testament, God wanted to be with His people, so He instructed them, build a tabernacle so I can be with you, you can be with me. Build a temple so that you can meet with me all through their heritage of the festivals and the routine gatherings, the weekly Sabbath, and into the New Testament, the weekly gathering of the church up till now. God says, I want to be with my people. 
That's why it's, it's almost errant foolishness that we would think, well, as long as it's me and God, we'll be at the beach. That's okay. Or me and God at Starbucks. That's not how it works. God says, I want a people, not just one. I'm making a people so I can be with them because that's where life is found. That's where hope is given. That's where life flourishes. See, Christianity is not good advice for morals. It's good news for rescue. And that's what we celebrate week in and week out. That's what Christmas reminds us of. And this good news is revealed in three ways. I have another sermon I'm ready to go into right now. But we're just going to say this. We see it in Matthew's gospel. First, God speaks and reveals Himself through history. Do you ever wonder why the genealogies are there? It's because history matters to the Christian worldview. These things were not created out of whole cloth. The genealogies are there to ground us, remind us that this thing is real. There's flesh and bones to it, literally. And God reveals Himself through history, the history of people and the history of individuals, the history of His church. This is the importance of the historical reality of the Christian faith. And God puts that down, the genealogies, names that we can trace so we can see that this thing is grounded in reality. It's not made up. We can point to places and people to say they were there. It's still there. Jesus walks amongst us, and there's the town He was born. Jesus died amongst us, and there's the place He was buried. Secondly, God speaks and reveals Himself through Scripture. Do you notice verse 22? It says that all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said. Roughly 12 times in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's going to write that. Why? Because he wants to show the relevance of God's Word to the community of believers. That this wasn't made up. It's grounded not only in history, but it's in the Scriptures of the people that record that history. Time and time again, this happened so that it might be fulfilled what was written about Jesus. Jesus said to the religious leaders in John chapter 5, verse 39, you're looking in those Scriptures because you think that's how you get right with God, but you don't realize that those Scriptures, they all testify of me. John 12, 41, John said, when Isaiah saw a vision of God on his throne, what Isaiah was seeing was the glory of Christ himself. The Scriptures and the history reveal who God is. And third, God speaks and reveals Himself through His Son. In John chapter 14, as He was comforting His disciples before He went to the cross, He says, look, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. We know who God the Father is, His character, His love, His justice, His holiness, His compassion. Because we see it in His Son, recorded in the Scriptures, recording history. And then fourth and finally, God reveals Himself through His people. And that's why He wants to be with them. Ephesians makes that very clear, that the church is a display of God's character and glory. That's why we gather. That's why He wants us together. That's why He wants to be with us. And so when Matthew tied Emmanuel with Jesus, he was trying to make it very clear that God's presence saves God's people. This wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, all those amazing realities are realities for us because He is Emmanuel, 
God with us. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning celebrating, celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ into this world. Father, that is the gift that we truly cherish and value. That is the gift you gave to us, that your Son would give His life away for those of us who would put our trust, faith, and confidence in Him. Father, as many of us continue to go on and celebrate Christmas morning with joy and family and friends, may we rejoice in the goodness you've given to us, and we'll thank you for it in His name. Amen. Of all the names that we've looked at together for the last month, I wonder if the name Emmanuel isn't probably the most important one to all of us. Now, parents, we all get this intuitively. If you've ever laid with your son or daughter in the darkness of night, protecting them from the sound that's coming from the closet or the monster under their bed, and in the darkness, they never ask, Mom, Dad, how much, how much weight can you lift? Mom, Dad, how many degrees do you have? Mom, Dad, uh, they, they don't ask those things. What do they ask in the stillness of the night? Mom, Dad, are you there? Because they know if mom or dad is there, everything's going to be all right. Friends, Christmas is a reminder to us that in a dark world, in a fallen world, everything's going to be all right because he's Emmanuel. He's with us. Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills. For more information and resources from Christ Community, visit us at www.ccclh.org.